Magic Hour. I'm John. I'm Jason. Hey, we tricked you. Yeah, uh-huh. I bet. <laughs> I bet they all just fell right out of their seats. Right? They're like, that's not the voice I hear first. What? What is this nonsense? The voice I hear second. It's chaos. And chaos. they think that's nonsense. Wait till they hang around <laughs> for the next 40 minutes. Oh. Hey, we got three questions today that we stole from last episode. Oh, right. We talked about that. Last episode, Are we, we do all three of them now. Yeah, they're they're gonna be quick. They're not they're not really in depth. It's not gonna take a lot of thought. No, well, maybe the last one. So we talked about last episode how the bullpen bulletins page was replaced by a contest where you had to answer one of three questions depending on your age, and if you answered that question, you'd be entered into a chance to win all kinds of stuff. So if you are ten years old or younger, Ooh, this one's gonna be tough. <laughs> who is your favorite Marvel superhero and why, Jason? Hawkeye, because he's a jerk. I would pick Doctor Strange because I like magic. Did you just do jazz hands? I just do jazz. <laughs> Doctor Strange does jazz hands all the time. Magic fingers. <laughs> and if you are 11 years old to 14 years old, your question is, who is your least favorite Marvel character and what can we do to improve him or her? And you didn't think this one was going to take some thought? My least favorite Marvel character is Hulk. Oh, what can be done to improve him or her? Well, I think they've done it at different times. Make him smart. I don't, I don't mind him being a giant, you know, green brute, but he's an idiot. Some of his nicknames are funny, like Bird Nose, but... My answer? Hercules. Yeah, you know... What can you do to improve him? Kill him. <laughs> Make him not Hercules. <laughs> uh, Didn't they do that? They brought Ares back. That's right. He made Ares a hero. Just was, as bad. Except he had no sense of humor. If you are 15 years or older, your question is... How should the Marvel Universe change to face the challenges of the 80s? Which is probably a little difficult for us to answer, and that's in 50 words or less. I would like to see some of the Marvel heroes learn how to breakdance. We need more skinny ties. <laughs> we knocked that out of the park, I think. I just won $2,500. Oh, wait, it was up to $2,500. Up to $2,500. It was $2,500. Yeah. We're really going to give you like six bucks. Previously on The Avenging Hour, a man and a giant robot tried to start World War III... Wonder Man went on a blind date, and Ms. Marvel discovered she was pregnant. And no, those last two things are not connected. And now, <laughs> episode 88. Much to Wonder Man's chagrin. Uh, we start today with a big one. It's issue 200. And I said, they said that this was giant-sized, and I said, I don't think it is. It is. It's not giant-sized, it's double-sized. Double-sized. It's bigger than normal. And it has everybody on the cover. Everybody who's a current member. This isn't like, if you remember issue 100... They had everyone who had ever been an Avenger. And they're not trying this this time. They've just got the normal... We just got our normal group of people. It doesn't make any sense, though. Why's Jocasta there? Why's Thor there? Because he's in the issue. Well, yeah, but you weren't supposed to know that. Donald Blake was in. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And when, you, when Donald Blake's around, Thor never shows up. Uh, issue 200 from October 1980. This one is by... Yeesh. <laughs> it's written by Jim Shooter, George Perez, Bob Layton, and David Michelinie. With art by George Perez. And it is called, The Child is Father to... Dot, dot, dot. Before you get started, should we talk about Bob Layton quick? Because we know Jim Shooter, George Perez, David Michelinie, but we've never talked about Bob Layton. Are you sure? I am positive. I could have sworn he did, like, fill-in artwork or something. Nope. All right, go ahead. Bob Layton was born in 1953, and as with, again, almost everyone of that era, started first on a fanzine called CPL... Contemporary Pictorial Literature. Well, that's fascinating. And then he went to Charlton, which again is pretty much what everybody did. What does Charlton stand for? <laughs> Crappy, hor horrible art. He worked for Marvel, DC, and Valiant for, for throughout uh, throughout his professional career. Probably best known at Marvel. Well, probably best known for Marvel. Period for Iron working Man. on Hercules. Oh, he he wrote and drew a Hercules miniseries and some Hercules graphic novels. I would have picked Iron Man. 
and after that, probably for Iron Man, where he was co-writer and inker of Iron Man with David Michelinie. Wait, I, wait. I'm still having a problem with this. You you think he's more famous for a no, Hercules no, miniseries than look, Iron Man? You, you start with the with the lesser stuff and you work up. Mm, okay. People from the 90s may know him best from Valiant because he was one of the mover and sh- movers and shakers of Valiant when it came out. But yeah. I think that version of Valiant has been pretty much... I can't say it's been forgotten because the new Valiant is obviously doing well. And some of those characters are still in use, but I think what was done with those characters back then, I'm not sure that... I don't think they carried any of that over. No, I don't either. But that, that, that era of Valiant was known for just overprinting everything and <laughs> flooding the market. Bob Layton's, um, you know, he's not really as much a penciler as he is an inker, but I like his work. And I, I mean, obviously he was good for Iron Man. I mean, he was the, the issues he did with David Michelinie were great. And I'll admit something here, which may surprise people who listened to the last episode, but I had... I don't think I still do, but I have for a long time his Hercules graphic novel. It's not horrible. Did he do the first Hercules miniseries or the second one? Did he I, do the, the Prince of did Power the, one? I thought he did them both. Oh, did you do both? I okay. thought so, and the graphic novel. So, you know, I like Bob Layton. But I have a feeling the reason he probably co-wrote this is because he was working with David Michelini at this point in time. Sorry, David Michelini. Uh, with, on Iron Man. Yeah. So I assume that's why he's in here. <laughs> Somewhere deep inside Avengers Mansion, where the walls are made of machinery sits a room labeled Medical Examination Laboratory, Authorized Personnel Only. I'm wondering who could possibly be this deep into the building and not be authorized. (laughs) Do they think a villain who crashed through a wall is going to be dissuaded by a sign? It's outside this room that a handful of Avengers anxiously await the arrival of Ms. Marvel's... child? Alien? Monster? Double-stuffed burrito? Who knows? Let's just go with delivery. I'm really not sure why everyone is so eager for this to happen. I mean, there's no way this can be good, right? Immaculate conception, advanced development, trauma-free labor. This is all a setup for disaster. She doesn't even push. The baby just, like, crawls out of her. Once the baby arrives, Wasp clicks into oblivious 1950s housewife mode and wants to congratulate Carol, even calling her lucky. Carol is having none of it and tells Jan to leave her alone. Then we get a touching scene of Wanda talking to her refrigerator of a husband, comparing children to flowers as Jocasta stares out the window at them. That's not creepy at all. The guys are doing much more important things. In fact, Hawkeye and Beast are playing pool. Hawkeye seems to be a ringer, but Beast pulls out a calculator and devises a single shot that sinks every ball on the table. First of all, that's not how calculators work. Second of all, (laughs) that's not how you play pool. And thirdly, when Hawkeye claims he's been sharked, Beast replies that that's why they call him the Peter Benchley of 42nd Street. Look, no one has ever called him that. (laughs) Bored with the competition, Beast decides to check in on the kid. Turns out the newborn infant has matured to a two-year-old already. And then he starts talking, uttering the word change. But what could that mean? As an answer, the action shifts to a subway station south of the mansion. We see Raul Kramer, candy shop proprietor, making his way up the platform after work. When he reaches the street level, he's greeted by a scene out of of turn-of-the-century Manhattan. Meanwhile, back at the mansion, Wonder Man checks in on Ms. Marvel to find her up and about, dressed in her costume and ready to go. Wondy asks her if she's going to check in on her son. She insists that is not her son, and she wants nothing to do with it. Cue the Mummy Dearest soundtrack. Downstairs, Beast waddles into the lab with some sporting equipment for the kid to play with and discovers that he's now aged to a five-year-old and is speaking perfect English. The boy tells us his name is Marcus. He also reveals that he is his own father. That can't be good. (laughs) Out in Nassau County, Marjorie Hansley walks to the mailbox, but when she turns back to her house, it's gone, replaced by a scene straight out of Land of the Lost. Back at headquarters, Marcus is now a 12-year-old with an Einstein-level IQ. 
Hawkeye wants to put him in a cage. Jarvis tells the team they're getting prank calls, including one saying Butch Cassidy just robbed a deli. Vision discovers an aura emanating from within Marcus. Jocasta is ignored. Ms. Marvel apologizes to Wasp, and Carol finally decides to meet Marcus, who now looks like a young Tom Selleck. Marcus knows Carol's name, mentions something about the flux, and is about to reveal all when the mansion is attacked by flying saucers and dinosaurs. As half the team runs outside to fight off the chronologically displaced intruders, Wanda stumbles upon a medieval knight in the hallway. The guys run into a warring tribe of Native Americans in the living room, and Thor finally makes an appearance. He sucks all the weirdness into a tornado, holding it until someone figures out what's going on. Yellowjack and a wasp help Jarvis with an uppity musketeer. Jocasta saves Wanda from Sir Cecil of Clampett. And I'm not even reading any of this excessive narration anymore. As Marcus manages to hypnotize Ms. Marvel, Hawkeye bounds in and destroys the machine he was attempting to build. Marcus is rightfully miffed at the meddling hero. He explains that he was merely trying to take Ms. Marvel away because the energy from his machine was dangerous to humans. But with the machine now gone, the gloves are off. Marcus is about to murder Hawkeye when Thor and Iron Man intervene. Marcus threatens to kill everyone, but his mommy scolds him. She says if he wants to kill anyone, he'll have to go through her first. Struck by this conundrum, Marcus admits that this was all a ploy to get the heroes to kill him. He says he doesn't want to go back home. Nothing is the same since his father left. A guy known better as Immortus. I didn't see that one coming. Really? No, I read the issue. (laughs) Oh, snap! We remember that dude, says Thor. Cue a teary-eyed flashback from Marcus where he tells us that Immortus got hella bored of being alone and decided to kidnap Rose from Titanic and make freaky geeky love to her. (laughs) Nine months later, out popped Marcus. Immortus set up a special bubble inside Limbo where time flowed normally. Apparently, he also discovered that mortals can only stay in Limbo for so long before returning to their proper time stream. So eventually, both of Marcus's parents popped away. Since Marcus was born in Limbo, he couldn't merely travel to Earth because his presence would put our time stream in constant flux. So he figured if he was born onto Earth, he could mature quickly enough, build a machine to halt the flux, and everything would be hunky-dory. He chose Ms. Marvel as his vessel because she's all badass and such. He plucked her from a Quinjet in issue 197, wooed her for weeks before finally betting her, then placed her back in the present a mere second after she had blinked away, none the wiser that she'd just been raped. Is that too much? Too tough? (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Now that his utterly selfish plan has failed, he has to return to Limbo. Too bad, so sad. Wait a second, though, Ms. Marvel says. I think I have Stockholm Syndrome now, so I might as well go with you. (laughs) Everyone just kind of shrugs and Thor zaps them back to Limbo. With Marcus gone, all the time-twisted weirdness goes with him, and Hawkeye feels bad for blowing up that machine. Nobody else seems to care. The end. A roll call is Iron Man, Captain America, Beast, Wonder Man, Vision, Wasp, Ms. Marvel, Hawkeye, Jocasta, Yellow Jacket, Scarlet Witch, and Thor. I have no idea who's on the team anymore. <laughs> Jarvis is here. One of the time anomalies identifies itself as Sir Cecil of Clampett, who I can only imagine is named after animator Bob Clampett, who created Beanie and Cecil. And I guess our villain is Marcus or Immortus or both of them or maybe they're the same person. I don't know. So you won't even consider the possibility that Jarvis is on the team? No. I think one of the problems with this issue is right there in the main credits, which is that it had four plotters. <laughs> to an extent, four plotters make sense, because, of course, Michelani writes the book. He's been working with Bob Layton, so I can see him bouncing ideas off him. George Perez often will help co-plot some of the books he he draws. And being editor-in-chief, Jim Shooter thinks he can write everything. Yeah, so, I mean, but at the same time, this is never... Usually, it's rarely a good sign when you've got this many people working on one issue. And, and the idea is this bad. The idea is really bad. And the explanation for the idea is really bad. I'm going to be honest and say I'm not really a kid person. I have three of them, and I'm not really a kid person either. And I am 
so annoyed by how excited the Beast and the Wasp are about this. I don't blame Carol for jumping down the Wasp's throat. She has every reason to. She didn't ask to be to be pregnant. And it's not like it's a normal pregnancy. Who's excited by this? I know. She finds out she's pregnant, and three days later she has a kid who grows to full size within the course of an issue. And I was glad to see Carol basically put the Wasp in her place. I was glad somebody, somebody knew what was going on. There's a, an interesting... Um, Exchange between Jocasta and the Vision, where Jocasta says something about how um, humans are sometimes very special. And the Vision's response is that humans aren't special. Life is special in no matter what form it takes. Which you would think, being a, a robot, Jocasta would understand and appreciate that it's not just humanity, it's just life in general. Are they really alive? Well, that's that's the question. Would you like to debate it? No. And in fact, his, his answer, I think, is very Star Trek. It's very Star Trek of him. <laughs> You've been saying that a lot lately. I'd like to point out one more time, uh, when the scientists stay behind to do some tests on Marcus, <laughs> Iron Man is not a scientist. <laughs> Can we design some kind of weapon? <laughs> I just... <laughs> Can we turn this kid into a gun? I get so frustrated. You mentioned the scene, the pool scene with the Beast and Hawkeye. Ugh. The Beast uses a Texas instrument because that was a big deal in the 80s, and yeah. now it's you know it's half the power. It's a, it's a fraction of the power we have in our phones. That's not even a graphing calculator. How did he figure out any kind of... And also, you, of course, made the Peter Bentley... You mentioned the Peter Benchley comment, which, of course, for those that don't know, Peter Benchley wrote Jaws. If I'm going too fast, you let me know. No, can you go faster? <laughs> poor, poor uh, Henry Pym. He gets no respect from his own teammates when Dr. Blake calls him Mr. Pym. And I really wanted him to be like, um, doctor. No, come on. When you're in the room with Dr. Blake, there's only one doctor. That is true. Uh, the, what, five-year-old Marcus wants materials, or two-year-old Marcus wants materials so he can build something. Uh, he has this stupid exchange with Captain America. Iron Man says, you know what? He's not going to give us any answers. Just give him the materials. What? <laughs> What's he want? Some plutonium? No, big deal. What's the worst that could happen? Sure, let's give the mysterious entity we don't understand anything they want. Jeez the wheeze. These people... Hitler would have loved the Avengers. <laughs> would, you, would you like a wall? We have some walls. Uh, pieces of walls, mostly. <laughs> I really would like to read the Sir Cecil <laughs> comment, because apparently Sir Cecil, when he's defeated by... He's defeated by... Wanda and Jocasta, yeah. and he's kneeling on the floor, and he says, if you let me live, I'll never throw my porridge at the queen again. And I really want to read the adventures of a porridge-throwing knight. I can't imagine you could get away with that, throwing your porridge at the queen. All right, so, almost done now. Oh, Wanda's hex power, when she's fighting Sir Cecil the first time. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Wanda's hex power has always been to create the impossible, or the improbable, right? The improbable happens. Well, I don't know, because then they put the whole thing in with organic stuff and magic, and I don't know what she does anymore. Because what she does is she casts a hex on Sir Cecil, and his lance bends like it's made of rubber and wraps around his head. Like a snake. That is not improbable. That is impossible. Well. And there isn't, no. Isn't it also improbable, then? I mean, come on. There's no way that's ever going to happen. And I feel like they do that with Wanda. I feel like 
using her powers as giving somebody bad luck is that's fine. Like he could have like stepped on his cape and tripped and fell down, or his horse could have his horse could have tripped, or the or the, or lance, the lance could have poked the horse in the eye and the horse threw him. Or. The horse could or the lance could the horse could have broke the lance could have broke. I mean, I just feel like there were things you could do. With, I, I feel like they, they, they really go a little bit too far in her power sometimes. You broke my horse. Did we get, in this issue, a Conan the Barbarian cameo? Because Hawkeye is running through the mansion. Oh. And he shoots an arrow at someone and says, Take that, Barbarian. And it really looks like Conan to me. Yeah, I didn't even... Th- I was assuming it was like some sort of Neanderthal guy, but maybe it's Archon. I think it's... I think I think that was their way of being... Of being uh, sneaky. We have no bullpen no bull balloons this issue. Mm, nope. And is, there's no letters again? I don't yeah, know. there's letters. Oh, I just apparently didn't think they were interesting. When do we want to really talk about this story? Do you want to do it now or at the end? What story? What do you... We need I to, thought we had just moved on to letters pages. What are we doing? Well, we really need to talk about... <laughs> then talk about it. Do you want to do it now? Well, yeah. All right. This story has a lot of problems. The fact that it's weird and disgusting and... Let's start with the first problem. And pointless. The, well, my my first problem with this is... I hate, hate, hate stories in any medium where things could be solved if people would just talk to each other. Yeah. If Marcus... Marcus is all upset because Hawkeye destroyed his machine. If he would have just told them what he was doing... If he would have just given them answers when Captain America asked him questions, if he had just told them that when he was younger... Nobody would have destroyed his stupid machine. And did he give one of those answers like, I don't have time to explain? No. He just didn't tell them. He just was a jerk. And then at the end, when they're like, why didn't you tell us? He said, you wouldn't have believed me. Well, they believe you when you tell them, so that is obviously not true. Maybe they wouldn't believe it if it came out of the mouth of a child. I don't see how that would have been. Because made a all children lie in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> it's true. We established that last week. But even if you can get past that, past that, that in my opinion is lazy writing. I have a problem with stories that all happen within the course of one issue, and then at the end of the issue, they didn't have any purpose. Why did they even create this story? To get rid of Ms. Marvel, If they wanted Ms. Marvel to leave, they could have just said, oh, hey, hey, I think I left the oven on. Like, what? <laughs> well, and, and, Isn't and, she gone for like a year now? Yeah. And the way that they get her to leave, Immortus kidnaps a human woman and rapes her. Immortus does. And yes. she has a child. Right. Marcus. Who then... Who kidnaps then a mortal woman. Kidnaps a human woman and rapes her. So that he can impregnate her with himself. And he says to himself, you say, how, how is this rape? It's rape because Immortus uses his machines to manipulate the woman he kidnaps to manipulate her mind to force her to have sex with him. Yeah. And then when Marcus kidnaps Ms. Marvel, he said, I would never use the machines to influence her mind. And two panels later, he says, so I used the machines to influence her mind. <laughs> what the what? He, he realized he had no game. He couldn't get it to work. Apparently not. So so he rapes Miss Marvel. And then this book has her say, you know what? I think I love him. I'm going to go with him. It's okay. I love my lover slash son. <laughs> right? My lover slash rapist slash son. <laughs> My forced lover slash son. I don't understand how he impregnated her with himself. How did that work? <laughs> I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> What's the science behind that? Did he just curl up into a teeny tiny little ball? And, and not only... So obviously Ms. Marvel, he's already admitted to the team that he mentally manipulated her once. They never seem to consider the fact that he's manipulating her still. <laughs> Or even if she's not, that she, you, you really think you should go with him if you know he, you let this happen to you once? Well, this is wildly out of character for Ms. Marvel. True. 
She's always she's been the serious one. I don't understand how other teammates aren't like, mm, you sure that's a good idea? And that's the other problem, is if the team just says, it's fine. The only one who seems sad about it is Hawkeye, who has like no connection to her at all. And Hawkeye doesn't seem sad because she's leaving. He seems sad because... Because she had to leave because... Because he destroyed the machine. Like, it would have been great if her son lover could have just stayed there with her in the present time. (laughs) The only character in this issue that really has a problem with it is Iron Man. Who says, when she's like, I'm going to go with you. And he's like, wait a minute. Are you sure you should be doing that? And she's like, no, no, no. I need to get in touch with my feelings or whatever. I'm going to do it. And he's like, well... Okay. I mean, he doesn't put up a big fight, but at least he at least he voices an objection. Yeah, but where's Captain America? He's fighting Three Musketeers or whatever, fighting Indians. Oh, fighting right. They're Americans. all out of the building when this happens, so they're not there to know that she's leaving. But as we'll find out next issue... Captain America and Wonder Man were probably the two that had talked to her the most that would have been able to say, oh, whoa, what are you doing? And we'll be talking about this again next issue, but most nobody has a problem with it next issue either except for Iron Man. I'm wondering... If David Michelinie, and spoiler alert, he's not going to be on the book much longer. I'm wondering if he maybe had a plan for this. Maybe he knew how bad this read, and he's having Iron Man object to it, and the idea maybe that he had was Marcus was manipulating more than just Carol's mind, that he was manipulating some of the Avengers' minds as well. Why wouldn't he be able to manipulate Iron Man's? I'm not saying that that was the plan. (laughs) I'm just saying because Iron Man's giving some half-hearted objections, at least there's something there that maybe... I was thinking maybe he was trying to set up like a love plot. Because remember when Tony Stark was hitting on Ms. Marvel earlier? Maybe he was trying to set up that the two of them were like a couple, but like Iron Man didn't want to admit his feelings to her because he was drunk. I find this issue horrible. Really offensive. Yeah, it's bad on many levels. Did you pick an MVP? Can we do the letters pages yet? Oh, I forgot what was wrong with you today. <laughs> Are we still doing this? Are we not done yet? Kent Fennis of Greenwood, Indiana. Asks a question I never considered before. Is the superhero a member of the Avengers or is the person behind the superhero the member? Is Scott Lang automatically a member of the Avengers because he is now Ant-Man and Ant-Man was a founding member? No. Does Hank Pym have to reapply every with every new identity? Do you know why you never considered that question before? Because it's stupid. Yes, it's stupid. I said it brings up a good point because the team members don't always know the other's real identities. You're right. It, within the so Ant-Man, in certain cases. In the Ant-Man case, it is stupid because he's Henry Pym and everybody right, they knows know it. Is. But if he would have stayed with a secret identity the whole time. I mean, when he first showed up as Yellow Jacket, nobody knew that he was Pym. Well, and here's the interesting thing. This will actually become an issue later on down the road. Because in, in the space of three or four years, Tony Stark quits the team. Oh, right. And but Iron Man and stays is, uh, on the team. Yeah, yeah, James yeah. Rhodes will be in the Iron Man armor as but, Iron Man. But nobody knows that. Because Iron Man's a member. But James Rhodes isn't. Iron and then Man they'll is. be able to see Iron Man and Tony Stark together and not think anything of it. Because so this actually will happen. I say it's a stupid question, but it actually does happen. Yeah. It just can't happen for every member. I think uh, the team's rep- response here is that it's the person inside the costume, which makes sense. Especially when they have the retinal scans and all that. Like, you're going to know who the person is. And, and, but I said it still seems sketchy, especially for Iron Man, because nobody knows who Iron Man is. At this point. Well, and we'll even have it happen when, um, in the 90s, when Eric Masterson becomes the new Thor. And he's on the team, even though he's never been on the team before. Because he's now the new Thor. Does uh, Ben Riley ever sub in for Spider-Man when he's... No, Spider-Man wasn't on the team when he's going through all that stuff. No, no. Robert Byrd from Medford, Massachusetts asks a similar question regarding both Iron Man's and Ms. Marvel's secret identity. Despite them revealing Ms. Marvel's alter ego a few issues back, Iron Man is still problematic. So, yeah. The Iron Man thing. We will see it later. Yeah. That's all I have for letters. Who's all your right, MVP? Next issue? Who's your MVP? 
Uh, none of them. They all suck. And I picked Hawkeye. I have no reasons for any of these. I just put a name down. Useless <laughs> character? One. All of them. Did you have a best quote taken out of context? Please, you must leave. I have to activate the machine. <laughs> I went... Tis my bound and honor duty to run you through. Uh, Avengers level threat? Existentially. Final grade. I gave it a D. What a horrible idea. I give it an F. I'm right there with I you. I think it's... And here's... here, And I, I just want to say this, and then we can move away from this issue. I do not believe that David Michelini, George Perez, Bob Layton, and, and Jim Shooter said, let's make a rapey issue that's really horrible and offensive. <laughs> I do not believe for a moment that any of those gentlemen realized what they were doing. I think part of the problem with this issue, and as we look at this from 2017, this is why diversity is so important behind the scenes of any creative endeavor, is part of the problem with this issue is if you look at this masthead, everybody involved in this is a man. That's all a bunch of dudes who don't yeah. see any problem with any of this. Yep, there's no woman, no woman. Plus, to be fair, it is 1980. I mean, we have 37 years of hindsight sure, here. Sure, of ago. course, of course. But again, that my point being, I yeah. don't think they intended it to. I'm not trying to say any of them support rape. No, or no, no, no. Rapists no. are good. No, but yeah, if there were me, even an assistant editor that was a female that could have gone, ah, this is kind of weird. I don't know. The only person in the pool, I mean, the only woman that worked there at this point in time was what, Marie Severin? Yeah. Right. Who's, she's drawn what the? She's not, she doesn't <laughs> care about this stuff. Moving on. Are you ready? Issue 142. <laughs> we're almost at the end of 1980, huh? Avengers number 201 came out in November of 19... Or cover date in November of 1980 by David Michelinie and George Perez again called The Evil Reborn. It's not so much that you have pieces of crashed biplanes and broken walls and crushed silverware to clean up after last issue's giant free-for-all. It's that there were T-Rexes around. Look, can you imagine what it looks like when an animal that big goes to the bathroom? Trust me, the Avengers needed to clean up after the hijinks that Marcus caused. So they've got themselves a couple of dump trucks, and the strongest members of the team are dumping large amounts of trash out. But the other members aren't lazing around. They're inside the mansion, overseeing and assisting the technos who are reconnecting all the damaged electronic systems. But things are winding down, so the Avengers go their separate ways. Wonder Man runs off to the studio to play Mr. Muscles, with the beast tagging along. Yellow Jacket has a speaking gig in Japan, and he and the Wasp are off to spend time together before he has to leave. Jocasta gives the Pims a bag of sandwiches as they leave, so they'll have more time for sex. Captain America and Hawkeye are heading to the gym, so they'll have more time for sex. Iron Man is off to Stark Enterprises, so some emergency. Thor is off to... Eh, who knows? This is ridiculous. Are we going to have our third issue of Not Much Happening in a Year? I appreciate the character development that Michelini is doing, but this seems excessive. Anyway, Iron Man arrives at Stark Enterprises, and after a quick change to Tony Stark, he goes to see Mrs. Arbogast, long-running supporting character in his own comic. Hi, Mrs. Arbogast. She gives him a note that sends him into a near panic. What could it be? In a plotline almost as important, Wonder Man is trying to keep his job as Mr. Muscles, but the host of the show is a big jerk who fires Simon for no good reason. Huh, I'm glad we spent two pages on that. It's early the next morning when we check in again with the Wasp. She's sleeping, or trying to after Hank has left for the airport, when there's suddenly a very loud crash from Hank's lab. She goes to investigate only to find his vault open, holes in the wall, a huge mess, and a giant ten-foot-tall robot that does not seem happy to see her. There's a quick fight, but the Wasp never really had a chance, and is seemingly disintegrated. One last check on Tony Stark. We learn that someone broke into one of his facilities and stole some chemicals that he knows could be used for major mischief. He seems to know who the villain is, and he spent the entire night working on something that can stop that villain. 
But the price will be high. The price will be Stark's life at the hands of a friend. Dun, dun, dun. To be continued, but we still have lots of pages left. Oh, yeah. We turn the page to see a new title card with new text telling us now that we are going to get a story focused on Jarvis. Good for you, Jarvis. The story is called Boy. Jarvis has a day off, and he's going to spend it visiting his mother. He arrives, expecting her to be cooking his favorite foods, but finds her upset and in tears. It seems some bully had pushed her down and tried to rob her, but ran off when he found she had no money. Also, the groceries, particularly the eggs, were destroyed. His mother describes the ruffian named Bruiser, and Jarvis heads out to teach the young whippersnapper some manners. Jarvis finds the cad being a bully and a jerk. Jarvis demands payment for the eggs that have been destroyed and gets a cantaloupe upside his head for his troubles. Mm -hmm. The neighborhood denizens run over as soon as Bruiser walks off, and it becomes clear that they are all afraid of Bruiser. They try to convince Jarvis to call on the Avengers, but knowing what happened to Sid Bloat, Jarvis tells them that this is a problem the neighborhood can take care of if they just stand together as one. Anyone? Anybody gonna stand as one? No? Fine, Jarvis will stand as one by himself, and he leaves the craven neighbors behind to go find Bruiser. Bruiser is not hard to find, and Jarvis informs the young man that he is prepared to engage in fisticuffs. Bruiser gets in one good shot, and then Jarvis knocks him around thanks to his training during WW2. Bruiser, having had enough, pulls a knife, but before he can use it, the rest of the neighborhood shows up, pelting Bruiser with trash, groceries, and brooms. Beaten and humiliated, Bruiser flees, while the locals crowd around Jarvis, thanking him for showing them how to beat up a bully. The end. Our roll call this issue is Iron Man, Wonder Man, Thor, Captain America, The Beast, Hawkeye, Vision, Scarlet Witch, and The Wasp. Our, we also see Jocasta, Jarvis, and Yellow Jacket. And our villain is the back half of this issue. <laughs> it's interesting. The, the, it says that this story is based on a short story by Jim Shooter. I don't know what that means. Did he, like, write a short story in a novel? He, he wrote a two-page plot summary. Insane. Right? <laughs> I don't understand that at all. I am glad to know that when the Avengers get garbage men, they still manage to get their obligatory uh, stereotypical Spaniard. I was going to ask, are these the same trash haulers from that uh, from the Absorbing Man storyline? Oh, they could be. They, they seem like the same. He still sounds like Speedy Gonzalez, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found it curious that Iron Man has a digital clock on the inside of his eye slit. That's kind of cool, I guess. I think it would get distracting. Yeah, right? I wonder if it, like, when he has to reboot, if it just blinks then until he resets it. I do want to point out, and I did mention this uh, last issue, but Iron Man, again, at the very beginning of the issue, is talking about how it bothers him that Ms. Marvel elected to return to, with Marcus to Limbo. And he doesn't know if that was the right decision. Again, I'm not saying that was setting something up for a future plotline. I'm just trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. I have no other comments on the first story. So um, Stark's it. IT department comes in to help them repair things in the mansion. Yeah, it's nice. They look like a team of milkmen. <laughs> Why are they wearing those hats? And maybe Tony Stark just likes to humiliate them. <laughs> Here's your uniform, guy that's going to never be seen by anyone and has to plug cables into things. <laughs> Uh, what else do I got? It's nice to see Beast and Wonder Man still palling around. Though I will say that the the Mr. Muscles Wonder Man's been fired scene is it is dumb and and the 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 the, the button on it Don't spit it out man is so not funny. It's supposed to be funny and it it falls so flat. Oh, where the kid rips off the dude's <coughs> wig? Not that. No. Where Beast is like, well, at least we're getting out of this with our with our dignity intact, and then the 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 guy that fired Simon calls him a baboon. Oh, I get it. And Beast turns around and yells some stupid insult at him to show that his dignity is not intact. But it's not a funny insult, and it's stupid, and the whole thing just does not work. It's all stupid. 
We also get to see Hawkeye and Captain America hanging out, which is cool, because we know that becomes a friendship. Yeah, friendship. Hey, he's not Bucky. <laughs> That's what you think. I would like to point out that apparently Wasp sleeps in the nude. Oh, she does. Well, I mean, I have to assume that the entire night before Hank left was just sex, 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 sex. <laughs> That's what they're hinting at all the way through the issue. She's not waking up. She's actually gaining consciousness again. There, is what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> what happened? Where are my clothes? Uh, let's... She also has a new costume, which has full arms and leg holes. She had a different costume last issue that was like the same color scheme, but reversed. I like it much better than the I'm missing arms and legs. Why does she keep having to put a W on it, though? Do we not know she's the Wasp? Is that what they put on the back of her chair at the meeting room? Just a big W? She should make it two W's for Wonderful Wasp. I mean, that's probably not copyrighted. I she could both like some, with some wings on the side. Yeah, because right? she's a Wasp. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So Stark finds out that these things have gone missing from his lab. And he panics and says, oh, no, I have to work on some machine that's going to stop this thing. And he basically, from the looks of it, creates a tape recorder. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it does something more than that. We'll have to wait till next issue or next episode to find out. I don't think a tape recorder is going to stop what's coming. So a Jarvis solo story is what we get, right? Yeah, it is. And and it's fun because they've got a little, they, 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 they give him a little, a little, He's got a logo? He's got a logo. They give the him a logo. Im- the impeccable Jarvis. They give him a little, you know, where usually it says, the heroes that stand together against foes no single foe can withstand. Yeah. Or foes no single hero can withstand. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, and they replace it with Jarvis text. But I, I don't quite understand all of the all of the t- uh, the credits because they list Roger Stern as historian. Who do you need a historian for in this story? Right, what does we, that mean? We barely even know who Jarvis is. Yeah, I don't. I didn't understand it at I, all. We never met Jarvis's mother before. I don't think we ever knew that he fought in World War II before. I thought at some point that I mean, I wasn't even sure he was British. So Jarvis gets one day off every other week. That sounds about right. Does it? Is that what Butler's get? I mean, let's think about it. Most of the time, there's nobody at the Avengers Mansion anyway, so he's just sitting around watching TV and playing with his action figures <laughs> and men making statues of people. <laughs> Drinking scotch. That's true, because there's probably a lot of alcohol in the mansion now that Tony Stark's not drinking it anymore. It's true. Somebody has to. He's like, let me take all this away so you're not tempted by it, and I'll just store it under my couch. (laughs) (laughs) This scotch isn't going to drink itself. (laughs) The only thing I took from this story is, who do you think's a better secret British spy butler, Jarvis or Alfred? Oh, Alfred. Yeah, it's Alfred. I mean, I like Jarvis, and we'll see a little bit of this, I think, maybe we won't. I guess it was just, if there was a what the, I guess, where the Avengers and the Justice League fought, and they had a little Jarvis versus Alfred fight. Oh, I didn't know that. You know, I guess Jarvis is British. Yeah, I didn't think it... He's never seemed British before. No, and and remember the first big storyline we had with him was the Crimson Cowl thing. Uh Uh-huh. And he left Avengers Mansion, and he walked to, like, an old tenement... In the Bronx, and he said that it was the neighborhood that he had grown up in, or something, or he yeah. was from that area. And I was thought, oh, but now this is from the Bronx. <laughs> well, I don't even know if they really necessarily say he's British, though. He he's, he talks about how much he loves Yorkshire pudding. I it don't is anybody, but yeah, it's very really strongly implied. But nobody's writing. He's not writing him or his mother with an accent. No. Which, I trust me, I don't want to be reading the next 200 issues of Jarvis going, it's truth, governor. <laughs> ah, but, governor. <laughs> but by the same token, I mean, 
There's no indication. Well, except when, the fact when he, he does say that he fought, he was like the Golden Gloves boxing champ in the Royal Air Force. Or something oh, that's true. Like that, he does say the RAF, doesn't he? Yeah. He mentions he asks about two people when his mother's upset. He says, "Is it Albert or Samantha? Are they siblings? Do you think? Do you I think would, he has? I would think so. What's Jarvis? Hmm. Edwin? Edwin Jarvis? Edwin Jarvis. That's all. I got nothing else. Yeah. This is. Either. I mean, this is more than we've ever known about Jarvis, and he looks consistently like the same person through this whole story. So that's good. And Although he, does, he doesn't look like the Jarvis from a couple issues ago. He does ask about. When he fights uh, Bruiser, he says, are the Queen's rules in effect? So, yeah. Very, very British. We don't have a bullpen bulletins. No. Oh, it's a, oh that's right. Oh, yeah, bullpen no, bulletins. We well, it's, it's, they took the checklist and put it and took half the letters page and made it a checklist. Oh, right. Yes. You're right. So, any so letters? we have letters. Yes. Cindy Eager of Lancaster, New Hampshire points out that David Michelinie writes the Avengers well, handling the different personalities and relationships and keeping all the plates spinning. I don't think I really paid attention to it much until these last few issues, but I guess I would have to agree with her. I mean, some of the plots have been really wishy-washy, but the characterization has been yes, he really knows, good since Michelinie's been on. He knows these characters. I like different... You know, I like David Michelinie as an Avengers writer, and not all of his stories have been... have knocked him out of the park, but you're right, he knows the characters, and also, I think the problem that he had was he was so often off the book writing other things. Yeah. I think if he could have, like, focused on the book, I think he would be... Ranking up there as one of the better Avengers writers. I just think his attention was just, was split for too much of his tenure. Or if like someone could have just given him like a plot outline, like if Shooter could have said, "Okay, here's what's going to happen in the Avengers. That's I true. want them to face this person with this outcome, and, that, and then you write it." That is a good point because, because the plots have been kind of ugh. yeah, they have been. And Shooter's plots tended to be pretty good. Yeah. It's just his characterizations weren't. It wasn't even that they were off. It was just it was like he kept missing steps. Yeah, we talked about it. Like he just. Thought you would assume what happened in between the lines kind of stuff. Yeah, so I think maybe if Shooter had plotted it and Michelini had written it, we might have had some amazing comics. Cindy Eager here also uh, appropriately praises uh, George Perez's artwork. Also, uh, there's a letter from Peter Petruski, the second of Millerton, New York, praising the Taskmaster. I agree with his assessment, of course, but I find it funny that he shares a name with Pacepot Pete. I know, I noticed that too. And the checklist shows that Moon Knight number one debuts this month. So we had Dazzler, what, last month, two months ago? Oh, we also do get a letter from Scott Peterson of Brookfield, Wisconsin, who mentions what you mentioned, which was in the Taskmaster issue, where the narration called uh, Ant-Man Scott Harris, rather yeah. than Scott Lang. And, of course, David Michelini... David Michelinie, oh my gosh, David Michelinie does what David Michelinie does a lot, which is blame somebody else. Yep. In this case, he says, look, I didn't even put his name in the issue, but the editor, Jim Salakrup, thought, we should have his name in the issue, so I'll just ask, I don't know, the guy on the street what he thinks Ant-Man's name I'm is. open the window and yell out. <laughs> just, boy, boy, what's Ant-Man's name? Isn't his responses, and the guy's like, uh, I think it's Harris, and like, you didn't even double check with anybody. Oh yeah, Harris, that sounds good. Let's yeah. go with that. Let's Harris it is. MVP? Jarvis. Amen. I'm with you. Uh, useless character? I gave it to Wonder Man. For getting fired? I don't know. I don't even have any reasons. I gave it to Wasp. Why am I not writing reasons down anymore? I gave it to Wasp for getting for, for getting disintegrated by a robot in her own house. She didn't get disintegrated. I don't look like it to me. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Uh, best quote taken out of context? The very first line of the issue. This is the last load, gentlemen. Oh. I had, if you can get a couple of days off... Why not stay over at the mansion for a while? Said by Captain America to <laughs> Hawkeye. Not the first time I'm sure that Captain America's used that line. I've got this man. closet full of costumes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure, and I haven't actually read ahead, but I'm pretty sure in issue two or two, we're going to see Hawkeye dressed up as Bucky. <laughs> Even like the little kid's costume with his midriff all the <laughs> <laughs> Buttons like bursting up. I got into the costume! 
No, what do you want me to do? The problem is, if Captain America and Hawkeye had sex, how could they tell which one was which? Yeah, once they, they, so once they take the cows off, it's like the same face. They'll be like, oh my gosh. Avengers level threat. Unknown. Yeah, there's no, we don't know what the threat is. Yeah, uh, Tony knows. Spoiler alert. Yes. <laughs> uh, final grade. I gave it a C. It's nothing special. There's some setup here, but... I gave it a B minus. It's, you know, it's like, there's something egregiously wrong with this issue, but then there's nothing particularly spectacular about this issue either. It just kind of sits there. On our next episode, spoiler alert, hey everybody, it's Ultron! And some sewer monsters. But mostly Ultron! It's Ultron? I know, right? Who saw that coming? Not me. <sighs> I didn't read ahead. I didn't know we were allowed. Well, I've been doing this on our next episode for a while now. So. Hey, look, it's Ultron! <laughs> Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs> if you want to stay in touch with us, we have a Facebook page. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Avenging Hour. And our email address is mail at AvengingHour.com. I tried to make that one sound like last episode, so it'll seem like we recorded it ahead of time. And like we finally did what we said we were going to do. Wait, we didn't? No, this is all live. It's happening right as you're listening to this. Were you saying that just now? What? No. I wasn't really listening. <laughs> That's all. I'm going to go now because my voice is failing. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week.